Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. One of the reasons that theology is so important is because what we believe always informs what we do. What you believe informs how you vote, whether or not you cheat on your taxes, how you use the internet. And if you can control what a nation believes, you can control outcomes. This is why how we educate our children is so important. This is why what we teach from our pulpits is so important. We've been looking at Ligonier's new survey that was released this year called The State of Theology. In it, 34 statements were posed to 3,000 participants in which they were given the opportunity to agree or disagree. Now, we've looked at several of these so far. Today's statement has to do with worship. Statement number 20 says this, Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. One more time. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Now, when the whole group was surveyed, 58% agreed. 58% of people thought that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. And evangelicals were not that much better. 47%, nearly half, believed that regularly attending church could be replaced with worshiping alone or with one's family. Brothers, how do we answer this? Hmm. Well, well, the simplest answer is what the New Testament says. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together, as, as some of you who are, have, have been in the habit of doing. Um, mm-hmm. this, this, is a, this is a very pervasive American belief. Um, it's as American as apple pie. It's just not a Christian belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that you can be an independent, go-it-alone Christian apart from the body of Christ, uh, apart from the church that Jesus said he would himself build, mm-hmm. um, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Um, Jesus Jesus didn't just come to save individuals. He came to build his church. Mm-hmm. And uh, to to obey him, to follow him, is to be a part of his church. But, but as I said, uh, when when we teach this, we're going against the grain of uh, of American culture and and uh, and a deeply held American belief, which just happens to be false. The answer really uh, reveals the um, individualistic, um, sinful individualistic mm-hmm. tendency of of us in the West, because the underlying assumption is that we go to church for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And actually, that is. Um, quite a ways down on the list. Mm-hmm. We actually go to worship God. Secondly, we go um, in part to help our brothers and sisters in Christ in the worship of God. And then lastly, we, we go to worship for ourselves. And so what we've done is we flip that order, that worship is about me, worship, you know, we know we're supposed to say it's about God, and we've completely removed that our worship of God involves those that we go to to church with. I mean, just take, for example, um, Colossians 3.16, that 
Paul is, is writing, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. But how, what are the means by which we teach and admonish one another? Mm-hmm. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. To one another. Mm-hmm. To one another. When I'm yep. singing in church, I'm singing for the brother and sister that's around me. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching and admonishing with all wisdom. That's, when that was depends the last on time what you're thought, singing, too. <laughs> But but when was the last time that we've thought about um, the songs that we sing in that mindset? Mm-hmm. We look at it and say, well, it's what I want to sing, what makes me feel good, what, what helps me out. And what you need to ask is, what truth does the person beside me need to hear? And baby, mm-hmm. I am singing for them. Right. And their encouragement, their exhortation, their um, instruction in the faith. But if everybody's gathering by themselves, you can't fulfill, you can't honor, you can't obey mm-hmm. Colossians 3.16. Yeah, you know, in, in my church, and I think you guys probably do something very similar, we always have a corporate prayer of confession. It's, mm-hmm. it's written in the bulletin. Right. And we all pray that prayer together, followed by a few moments for personal silent confession. And I'm sometimes asked, I've been asked over the years, well, Pastor, uh, what if what if this written prayer of confession asks me to confess something that I didn't do? And my response is, we're praying for one another. We're not just praying for ourselves. There's a reason why this prayer is corporate, and there's mm-hmm. a reason why we do it aloud, and there's a reason why we do it together and not separate in our own homes. Right. Uh, that's an important part of your personal prayer time at home. Don't neglect it. But when we come together, we're not just praying for ourselves. We're praying for one another. Worshiping alone, that's the subject. And 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 14 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're we're called to that corporate nature of the community of God's people, which make up his body with all its gifts and abilities and – as you said, we teach and admonish one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, there's a, there's a, we derive this great benefit uh, from it. Uh, we encourage one another as long as it is still today. I mean, we we're looking for another day, but we're encouraging one another today. Okay, I got to press back on this a little bit because um, Idaho is a red state. They're about the reddest in the union, and behind that redness is a family-centric mentality. Oh, yeah. I think most people that I know, anyway, they wouldn't say things like, well, I'll just go worship out in nature because you know God will accept that. Most people that I know that would succumb to this error would say, I can worship with my family. And Phil, you quoted Hebrews um, ten twenty four, which says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So I can hear these voices in my head actually saying, we're not neglecting to meet with one another. Uh, Isn't my family part of the church? Can't I worship with my family? Isn't that – doesn't that um, meet that requirement that the apostles laying down? Hmm. I think – go ahead. I would would answer in twofold. One, your family is not the church. (laughs) Right. That language is never used in the Word of God. It's never supported in the Word of God. Um, family is not um, preeminent in the Word of God, ever. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's one of the institutions. I mean, it is yeah, an institution. It's, it's an institution. However, but, when Jesus, people come to Jesus and say, your mother and brother's outside. And he says, who are my mothers and brothers? These are my mothers and brothers. And the mentality has to shift in the mind of a believer that the family of God is just as essential as their own immediate family. Yeah. Right. That what happened Amen. is when, and when Peter says to, to Jesus, we've given up houses and lands and families and brothers and all this. And Jesus is saying, you're right. And you know what? I'm going to give you a hundredfold here. Houses and lands and mothers and brothers and mothers or sisters and brothers. A hundredfold. How can that possibly be? Because he gave them the church. Yeah. Right. And so what happens is people put an undue significance on immediate family and really sacrifice the great blessing of the the larger family that God has graciously made them a, a part of. And the sense is that the church, God has orchestrated his individual family exactly as he wanted it, and he brought unique personalities and giftedness and members to that family because mm-hmm. we often say in our own immediate family, when one or another of our kids is, is beating them up, uh, some, themselves up about something, we say, you're exactly what our family needs. Our family wouldn't mm-hmm. be the same without you in it. Mm-hmm. We need your personality, your gifts, your sense of humor, your insights, your whatever. And the same is true in the church of God. And so when we selfishly remove ourselves and decide, you know what, I will get just as much out of individual worship with my family as I would go into the house of God, what we're really saying is I don't love the family that God has given. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every, every idolatry takes something good that God has given and makes it ultimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the family is instituted of God. Mm-hmm. It's one of his most wonderful gifts. Uh, but to take family and absolutize it, and I, and I would say, and um, Josh, you mentioned uh, <laughs> in the, this tendency in, in red state Idaho, and, I, and I've certainly seen it. It, it is part of our culture um, to, to value family, and, that, and that's wonderful. Um, and we can see family breaking down and, and deteriorating in the world all around us. And to have people that, that want to uphold uh, the institution of the family, but that's awesome. However, don't make an idol of it. Don't absolutize it. The imagery that, I, that I've, I've seen before is I feel like people treat the family like it's this awesome ice cream cone sundae. And church is just the cherry on top. It's an optional thing. You don't really right. need it because you already have the sundae. Mm-hmm. And and that that's so devastatingly wrong. So let me just say one thing, and I know you're itching, no, chomping at the bit. If you're if you're listening to this right now, believer, and you turn on the radio thinking that you know what, I think I'll just stay home and worship God this Sunday. Um, I don't want to go to church. That is not worshiping God the way that God prescribes at all. That is not doing church. That is a false way of doing church. And church is defined as those who have been called out by God. Ecclesia, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, kaleo is the Greek word for call, and ek is out. We've been called out of this world, called out of darkness into His light. We've been called to Him, called as a an assembly of people that gather together. And you can't go through um, the New Testament without coming on passage after passage that talks about one another, one another, one another, one another. It's it's the community that we've been called into. Yeah, and. Just as, just as you didn't get to choose 
the people, and this is really, I'm, I'm going to be echoing something that Russ said a minute ago, but just as you did not get to choose the members of your biological family, uh, you know, yes, you had a role in choosing your spouse, but, you know, you didn't choose your siblings, um, and uh, you didn't you didn't know what you were going to get when, when you, you and your spouse got into having children. Those were surprises from God. In the same way, you don't get to choose your church family. God does. God brings together people you may not want that you're going to have to rub elbows with and learn to get along with. And it's, and it's not going to be this uniform thing where everybody thinks the same as you. And that's why, that's why we need the church, because mm-hmm. God puts it together in such a way to, to grow us and to shape us as his children. And we also need to learn to submit to authority. Yes. And so pastors and elders are given in authority over us. And this is going to be something hard for a lot of, of fathers to hear. They trump you. Mm-hmm. They trump you in your family. Mm-hmm. You don't have to screen everything that the pastor and elders say before it goes to your children because you don't have ultimate authority. Your elders and pastor actually have greater authority in the hearts and lives of, of even your children. Mm-hmm. Because they have been appointed or ordained by God to watch over their souls, to watch over their souls that yeah. will give an account. And so, mm-hmm. this is a mindset that, unfortunately, is is too rampant in evangelical um, circles. This hyper patriarchal um, approach to church life um, that really undermines the authority that God has ordained. Mm-hmm. And what you're really doing, whether you know it or not, is undermining the authority of the church in the lives of your children. And someday they're going to struggle with submitting to the authority of the church because of your hyper-patriarchal approach to family. Mm-hmm. I think we need to do a show on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really do, um, because I think this is the, the ethos that uh, we breathe in. So this has been the Gospel for Life. Um, we will um, continue to talk about the state of theology in America on next week's, or tomorrow's broadcast, rather. And uh, we hope to see you then. Bye-bye. 